Hey there, welcome to the House Music Connection podcast. I'm your host, Tony Fuel, and each week we have conversations with different artists uh, to you know, talk about industry insights. We'll talk about struggles uh, and successes. Um, ultimately, uh, we'll learn from each other and feel more connected as a house music community. Today's guest is Matthew Brady, aka DJ Passion. Matt has been living in uh, in Asia for the past uh, uh, 15 years or so. And so since we don't really hear a whole lot about the house music scene in Asia, I wanted to get his perspective uh, so that we can find out more about that. And of course, uh, in addition to uh, being, you know, living in Asia for the past 15 years, Matt is also a skilled producer and has had several productions that have uh, seen a lot of success on TrackSource and Beatport. So I'm excited for you to get to connect with Matt. Let's get into the conversation. Hey, Matt. So it's good hey. to have you join this, this call. It's good to talk to you. We've been talking for a while on social, you know, for several years now on social media and whatnot. And yeah, it's good to finally touch base. Uh, Live, even if it isn't in person. Yeah, so, absolutely. Welcome. Absolutely. Th- thank you. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. It's almost sounds like we've been on like a dating app. You know, it's like we've been sending <laughs> <laughs> sending yeah, flirty swipe, messages, swipe right and now down. we're finally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, th- th- thanks for inviting me. Good to good to properly talk to you. Yeah. So you're in Hong Kong now, and you uh, are from the UK. And you did a yeah. brief stint in Singapore. Um, uh, yeah, well, thir- thirteen years, not 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 so brief. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met yeah. my wife there. My kids were born there. Um, mm. Yeah, but no, I re- originally from London, East London. Um, born and raised West Ham fan for the, the football fans out there, and that's soccer, real football, not the not the American football. Sure. Um, and yeah, really, I guess I've been in the music scene, wow, in one way or another, 35 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, started, I started learning how to play the drums at, at secondary school and mm. uh, kind of progressed there. Went to this uh, state, state music school, um, mm. met, met, a few, met a few people there that have gone on to be pretty famous. So I don't know if you know uh, a group called Mochiba, kind of chill out chill out group um i mm-hmm. used to go to music class with their lead singer and she's i mean she's been in videos with like david bowie and bono and mm. people like that um sean escoffery maybe bought a couple of his tracks space rider days like this um mm-hmm. but yeah kind of I, I guess i guess my journey i i had some friends in in my neighbourhoods that that were involved in pirate radio, so so back in back in the kind of early nineties in London, pirate mm-hmm. radio was was everywhere, was massive, and these guys were were, were, were drum and bass DJs, jungle as it was back then, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I got invited. You know, I, I liked underground music, and I got invited round to their house, and they're like, "Hey, have a go on these." sound lab belt drive turntables i didn't have a clue what i was doing but i think mm-hmm. ca- coming from a musical background i got my head into it pretty quickly and mm-hmm. got got hooked and was spending my kind of pocket money and the, the money i got in sort of as a teenager in part-time jobs you know going to the record shops and just just getting a vinyl collection and uh yeah over time 
sort of transition from that drum and bass kind of jungle sound to, to the very original garage sound. So a lot of US staff masters at work, uh, mm-hmm. MK, Todd Edwards, Kerry Chandler, um, mm-hmm. and, and Grant. Grant, Grant Nelson was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the well, he still is the man, but, you know, back mm-hmm. then he was the man. You'd see these nice and ripes in the record shop. You'd see it on the shelf and the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up. And before you'd even yeah. heard it, you knew you knew you were going to get it, but you just had to have that that furtive listen. So, um, sure. yeah, so, so, so I guess I got, I got myself um onto a pirate radio station which uh I, I found out like nearly 30 years later um one of the guys that ran it is uh babs presents from fourth set records okay um he, he and i are actually from the same neighborhood back in back in london and i i, I literally only found this out um a few uh, a few weeks back um and yeah, no, Roger. yeah really 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 kind of uh yeah lovely guy right um yeah. really, really just kind of uh got got absorbed into this new music scene that uh mm-hmm. was emerging out of london um met a few of the guys that that went on to to do kind of really well out of this like dj pied piper he and i used to play on the same radio station he mm. went on to do like some big two-step stuff um but no, just just really, you know, got 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 in, you know, heart and soul into this into this scene. Pretty, pretty obsessed by it, and it, it's gone on to to, you know, define a lot of who I am as a person. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, have you ever um, had your own label or anything like that? I I've contemplated it and. Uh, maybe watch this space. I, I, I think, mm-hmm. I think at the moment I, I've been, I've been kind of buried because, you know, look, I've, I, I mean, I'm a married man. I've got a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. I've got a day job now. Um, although there mm. was a time when I did work full time in music. Maybe I'll, I'll talk about that in a little while. Um, sure. But you, you know, trying to trying to have a family, have a day job, mm-hmm. normal social life, and those things, and then having you know or wanting to fit music into that i think i think Mm. running a label is a bit of a label labor of love as well Um, but then also having that control being able to release your music when you want to Mm -hmm. you know um i've usually been quite lucky um in terms of like getting my track signed right you know i'm sort of pretty pretty well connected to the right people i've done a lot of stuff with say plastic people i've had tracks mm-hmm. on pogo house uh mm-hmm. and some of the some of the kind of the, the the more legacy labels like king street uh right. purple purple music these kind of things um mm-hmm. but that said you still whenever you release a track you you're at the mercy of an a and r or you know the, right. the label owner whether they they really want to sign it and yeah you know look we'd all love to just send our track straight to where's it defected and him stick it straight <laughs> right. out there. We go number one on tracks also people um, end up on, end up, you know, in the pop charts, but yeah, the well, reality that, is the you- life cycle, the pipeline for defected is, is so big. I think that they have like, I know someone was telling me that it was like two years before <laughs> a track between a track signing and the track getting released. So unless, unless there, it's like a amazing track that they just have to get out earlier. But yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, look, I, 
I could totally believe that, right? And the thing yeah. is, as well, they've got a million sub labels now. There's Defected, there's DFTD, there's Glitterbox, yeah. D for Dance, Simmer Black. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can can rattle them off so 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 many of them. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, the the reality is, I think with, with with music these days, if you find a core few labels that you can work with, and occasionally, you know, branch out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, I just released the track uh, "Holding On," which uh, came out about two or three weeks ago, and that that one was was the first time I worked with Soul City, so that's that's been mm-hmm. one of my favourite garage labels for for a little while now. Martin, who, cool. who runs that label, super super nice guy, very switched on, very professional. Um, yeah, you know, it's been great to kind of c- connect with him, and I, I'm sure we'll do more stuff in the future. Uh, awesome but yeah yeah just 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 building that connection and get getting getting you know that that broader network getting getting more things out there is is part of the fun too um as long mm-hmm. as they say yes and actually sign your tracks right for sure well sometimes it's just timing and they're you know they're, t- they're trying to get their you know their timing right and everything so yeah yeah for sure so you talked about working in music full-time uh, can you tell us more about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So probably the uh, the worst time to, to ever have a midlife crisis. I mean, you know, look, uh, I, I, quick side note, I've typically worked in investment banking for a long time. That's been my day job. And, and in 2008, I got headhunted to move from London to Singapore mm. with uh, a, a big UK investment bank. Um and I, 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 you know, had an okay career in the corporate world for for a long time, and um, having having transferred to a large American bank again, I won't name names on these guys, but um, I, I just, sure. you know, I could I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, right? I I, I had mm. this had this sort of you know feeling that that I needed a break from the corporate world, so mm. I I managed to take a redundancy, get a little bit of a small payout. And in that time, I, I, I basically set up a company in Singapore so that I could DJ full-time, produce music full-time. Mm. Uh, and actually, I, I set up what I could describe as a school so that I could mm. teach other people how to DJ, teach other people how to produce music. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, for a few months, it was fantastic. I mean, I made pennies compared to my salary, uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, my wife divorced me, um, but um, just just as I did that, and it's like, okay, I feel this weight off my shoulders from getting out of the corporate world. COVID happened, so mm-hmm. so I was a full time DJ, and there were no no bars and clubs to DJ at in the world. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so so you know, after some time, I'm now I'm now back living the corporate life again. But mm-hmm. um, you you know, actually. I think having no pressure on me now musically, you know, mm-hmm. being able to do it just for the love again. And obviously you, you want to sell, you want to shift units, you want to sell copies, you want to climb the charts, you want to get recognition, right. but not needing any kind of return from music other than just the the passion for it. Excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's, that's actually been, quite good to get that back 
So what skills did you learn? Um, did you learn any additional, like, I guess, entre- entrepreneurial skills is, as part of creating that music school that you transfer that you can transfer to being a, a better producer or artist or more of a business minded artist or. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So I, you know, I, I, I was very used to working in a huge corporate environment, right? I worked for mm-hmm. two of the biggest banks in the world, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and you, you've got to go in and you've got to deliver stuff, but the infrastructure, everything's already there, right? You know, mm-hmm. and there are specialists for any little thing you need, right? You know, they've got HR, right. they've got, you know, they, they, they've, they've got a department for everything and systems for everything. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I kind of went from working for an American bank with a quarter of a million employees to being me, just myself. Um, mm-hmm. So, so having to, you know, chase down invoices, having to file taxes as a, as a company, all these mm-hmm. things like that was, was very much a learning curve. Um, I think, I, I think I probably looked at the production itself a bit more objectively because I think I had, like I'd never been taught music. I, I mean, I, I'd gone to this music school and I learned how to play the drums, but I'd never mm. really, no one had ever sat down and said, okay, this is how you, you know, back in the day, this is how you use an Akai S3000 XL sampler, or this is, mm-hmm. you know, how to mix a track down. So anything that I learned, I, I was all self-taught. Um, mm. And so stuff I just kind of done organically, instinctively. I, I hadn't always taken a step back to think, why was I doing that? And mm-hmm. to be able to explain it to somebody else, especially someone that hadn't had my tenure and longevity in music production, someone kind of starting pretty fresh, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it made me sometimes simplify the way I make music. Um, and also I'd say it helped me focus a bit more on, on some of the fundamentals, right? Um, what, what I mean by that, it's very easy to go out and hunt down the next new plugin, the next soft synth that's going to somehow give you this new sound. And it was really more like, actually, you know, I need to go back to basics. I spend so much more time considering the mix down and that aspect of it. Um, you know, getting my sound selection right or trying to get my sound selection right right off the bat so that you need to process less, these kind of things. Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that, that's probably what, what I what I took away and what was, was a bit transferable to me. Sure. So how is it living in Asia? Um, having gone from the UK to Asia, what are some of the differences or I guess you know, house music is, is the same, you know, wouldn't matter where we go, but what are some of the differences as far as like, as far as the scene and I guess the vibe and, and whatnot between the UK and Singapore and, and Hong Kong? Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely different culturally, right? I think if, if I look at Singapore as a country, it's a lovely place, you know, great climate, it's warm all year round, you wear t-shirt and shorts any day of the year, Mm-hmm. midday or midnight right um d- d- nice expat community and um, the the underground in anything right whether that's i don't know rock and roll art 
any kind it's quite a mainstream country right and it's they're very focused culturally on like business academic success this kind of stuff so so the guys that are truly you know the the, the local guys from singapore and the scene there that are truly into something more underground they're, they're really deep into it and they've had to fight for it quite a bit more you know so the mm. the, the venues that are there they've they've invested their own money to, to kind of make this happen. They're, they're promoting it. They're, you know, it's, it's very, it's very small, but they've worked hard for it. And the, the flip side of that is for you to come in as, as effectively an outsider, you've got to earn mm-hmm. your place there. Yeah. I, hmm. I, I played places in London. I played at ministry of sound, the end, like some hmm. of what over the time have been the best clubs, arguably among the best clubs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I produced music and I, I'm clearly not Carl Cox or Grant Nelson or guys at that <laughs> level, but, you know, I'd like to think I'm not bad. And right. so when you go there and, and like on paper, I've achieved more than a lot of these guys there, right? You know, I've played mm-hmm. places they would want to play. I've released music they would want to do. But simultaneously in Singapore, no one's heard of me. I'm nobody. So right. it, it took a while to get, to get accepted into the scene there and to, you know, build, build a reputation. But I, I made some fantastic friends from the music scene that I'm still well connected to there. I, um, I, I traveled back to Singapore actually with my day job earlier this year, I got to play at, at Cella V. Um, if, if you, you can, you guys, maybe you can look this up. Um, it's, it's on top of the Marina Bay Sands. So it's this quite iconic, uh, hotel, it's got it looks like it's got a, a boat on the top it's got this open air swimming mm-hmm. pool that's 700 yeah. feet up and yeah it's featured like, uh, on before. crazy rich asians yeah yes yeah. yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lot, lots of places in that film that you know i recognize from just mm-hmm. just life in singapore um, i love the b-roll yeah, you know, of that I, movie yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's it's yeah, st- struck a, a lot of chords with me that film actually. But um, yeah. the yeah, so so you know, like I, I'm, I'm I get to, I get to go back and play at a place like Celeve. The week before me was Sven Vaith. Week after me, Sam Divine. You know, mm. they have I've seen I've seen Kenny Dope, Louis Vega, Jazzy Jeff, Roger Sanchez. You know, real mm. A list guys play there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, like like the the, the Singapore scene is kind of kind of good once you're part of it but mm. the the average person i think i think you could you could probably divide music three ways there because of the climate you've got a lot of like rooftop bars beach bars open mm. air bars so the gigs i used to play there you know i'm playing 115 beats a minute disco edit type stuff pretty chilled uh, you've then got the really mainstream EDM type clubs. Like they've got this place marquee where they fly in, you know, Afrojack, Hardwell. Mm. They've got a slide in the nightclub and anyone buys a bottle of champagne, there's like fireworks, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, or or wow. for the underground scene, there's not much in the way of say garage, soulful stuff. It's really more techno. Mm. So, I, I did a few. I did a few garage throwback nights. Um, yeah, you know, I was probably maybe not the only, but probably the main garage DJ in Singapore in a population of about three. So, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, Hong Kong's Hong Kong's kind of similar, kind of similar. Mm. 
uh, I think I think people would say the music scene is a little bit more underground, um, and I mean Singapore has a very strict anti-drug policy, which you know sometimes can go hand in hand with the music. Um, arguably, Hong Kong's a bit more open on that front, so that can promote a bit more underground, um, you know, a, 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 an underground scene. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. It's different though, and it's it's hard. I, what I was saying before about Singapore, I've I've kind of come here, and I know a couple of people, and I'm trying to kind of re reestablish myself again on the DJing front because no one really knows me here. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a bit like starting starting at the bottom again. Whereas yeah. whereas I can I could go to Phuket and play at Cafe Del Mar like I did last year, or get gigs mm-hmm. in Bangkok pretty easily. But but Hong Kong is like a new a new market to tap. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty common. Like for for anyone going to any new city, like unless you're like a really big name, uh, you kind of have mm-hmm. to like I don't know work your way into the scene a little bit, or or create your own community and just start doing things yourself. Uh, that's kind of what I uh, found I've had to do. Just to um, I'm not I'm not saying I've been excluded. I'm just saying that like you know um, I, I I've had to I didn't really get n- noticed. I mean, my music wasn't getting getting me any attention um um a lot of the times the promoters don't really care about you know uh pr- you know production or whatever they just they want people who are coming to their events or people who can who mm. they know are going to sell tickets to their events or whatever and so i started doing my own Absolutely, events and yeah. doing my own events in the city got me that's what got me the attention um not not my music so <laughs> it's just it's it's interesting how that works that way so yeah, it's, in, in, it's like very different. It's very different. Um, I feel like local scenes are very different than it's like a totally different game than the music, the global music you know, release game. You know, I don't know. I, think it's, I feel it's different. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, I mean, for Singapore, my, my first step, uh, a, f- a friend of mine, who's actually a colleague at this investment bank with we were in a work functional team meeting i got chatting to him and he's like you know i said to him, you know what are you doing at the weekend like you might chat to him he said oh i'm djing this gets oh you dj he's like oh you know hello uh what you play yeah. and he said oh, i play house music and i said to him what what kind of house do you play and he his eyes mm-hmm. like we're like this because oh you you know that there's more than one kind of house music i was like yeah, yeah I play right. as well you know <laughs> Um, but we we started we started doing some things. We had uh, we used to hire this this boat and we put boat parties on. Stick a couple of kilowatt sound system in. Hundred people mm-hmm. put a bar in there and sail around Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was what kind of got me some credibility to then say to some of the the other DJs and the the, the promoters and stuff. Hey, you know, you've seen the photos of my event. I'll bring some of this crowd to your night and uh mm-hmm. it, it went in from there but i, I think you know f- for yourself I, I i would sort of see so so your sound to me with the, with the music you make you've got quite a uk sound and i, and I know mm-hmm. these these boundaries like they you know everything's a bit more global these days right but mm-hmm. fundamentally you have quite a uk sound and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of interested to see how that would go down in in Middle America, right? And, uh, well, I mean, just it, the the scene here, like just in general, is um, I don't know it. It's it's not nearly as um, 
so it's been it's been as healthy and steady for for many years um but it's not nearly as prolific as like the, the scene in the uk like even the underground scene in the uk mm-hmm. just there's so many more people that are into that proper house sound and like that more traditional mm-hmm. you know, sound and, and even like todd terry i think uh, didn't really blow up until he kind of made it in the uk i mean he he had these productions that were you know um that were the remixes of you know everything 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 about the girl and then some other others and yeah, whatnot. Um, yeah. But then he didn't actually. I don't. I mean, yes, he's respected here, but I think that he got even way more respect uh, when he started making it in the UK. So, and I think that that still hasn't really changed in like thirty years. You know, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, Todd, Todd Edwards is another one, right? I mean, he yeah. he got sucked into this uk garage thing like i don't i don't think he was consciously making uk garage 93 mm-hmm. all this kind of chopped up scatty stuff um mm-hmm. and and he would probably admit that his fan base is mostly uk based right you know mm-hmm. um i mean i mean actually a question for you i know this is maybe sure. maybe, maybe, the, maybe you're interviewing me but the question for you is, <laughs> so so how, how did you get into that uk kind of vibe because Yes, yeah, and then you know you've got a bit more of a musical sound than like some of the real, you know, UK guys. But it has it's UK garage, right? It's that garage from the mid nineties that I got sucked into. So I didn't even know it was like really garage house. I just like considered it house that I liked in the nineties. And when I was buying records, I was buying a lot of UK imports, and it was garage house. And I mean, it was a lot of it was garage house sounding. So a lot of the the, mm-hmm. my favorite remixers were remixes were like done by I think like love to infinity that kind of had like that more piano oh, yeah. and you know sound yeah. and whatnot and like, so that kind of sound and then um you know I, I like vocals I mean you know having that diva vocal on a record was <laughs> I don't know I just really like that sound and whatnot and so that's when I started kind of getting back into the scene you know 20, 20 years later or, or more than that even um I just started making more of that sound and I, cause I, I like vocals and I am not ashamed to put vocals on, on records. And I, uh-huh. you know, make it, and also I, um, and it, I, I didn't necessarily see this as like a garage house thing, but like, um, I, or a UK house, uh, thing, but like the, the, I, I saw more of like a, a kind of going back to that nineties thing, that nineties where, I think I feel like the '90s was the golden era of house, and I think it's yeah. a lot of the reason for that is because of the vocals that were on there, and it was actually a song. And so, I actually yeah. wrote so so some of the vocal tracks that I've put out are songs that I wrote. I mean, I, I actually wrote the song. I mean, some some of them, you know, the the singer wrote it, wrote the song, but by and large, you know, I've written most of the tracks that I put out. So. Or at least yeah, did mo- most of that. So, I I, wasn't, I didn't even know that there was like a somebody else had to tell me that it was like UK garage house. I knew that it was like kind of a UK sound, but I didn't know. I didn't realize that it was garage house. I just thought of it as like vocal house. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's yeah, uh, what is the okay? Go ahead. No, no, no. Please, you go. Okay. So. um I guess what what are what is today looking like for you in Hong Kong, and what's what is the next um, I don't know three to five years looking like for you for for DJ Passion? Wow, um, yeah. So 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 right now, thank, thanks to the beauty of time zones, it's about ten p.m. or something here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think your day's just starting, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. So I've had a I've had a day in the office. I've put the kids to bed. Um, quick, quick tinkle in logic, and uh, you know, mm. uh, then get, getting ready to speak to you. Um, I think I think yeah, you know, we we've lived in Asia for a long time, um, so we've we've travelled quite extensively, but still a lot more to see. You know, on a personal level, just just traveling around the region, doing more things as a family. And hopefully I can, you know, squeeze some some gigs in along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, One one of the things that, that, you know, I've got a lot of uh, excitement about and a lot of energy for, um, I've got a couple of friends here. We've started a collective called Not A Disco. Mm. Um, The irony being we definitely are a disco. We love disco (laughs) kind of influenced house and the Mm re-edits and this kind of stuff. That's, that's kind of our sound, um, and we're we're just kind of getting that off the ground at the moment. Because um, while while I love garage, and you know that that was twenty five thirty years ago, that was what kind of you know set me on a path in mm-hmm. so many ways, and, and, and shaped who I am. To be really honest about it, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've always loved I've I've always loved disco music. Um, when when I was in Singapore, that was a lot of what I was playing. Hmm. Dr. Packard, you know, yeah. um, Michael Gray, the, the, the Glitterbox stuff, Moosey T, these kind of things. So, so that that that's something I'm I'm into. And with this not a disco project, we can we can explore that a lot, and uh, hmm. it's it's something that I, that I want to build out. You know, uh, with, with with my two friends uh, Paul and Toby. Mm-hmm. That's um, and uh, and actually we've got we've got we've got another friend Fran who's a brand guy. So. It's, been fantastic helping us get all our kind of logos and designs and things off the ground um Mm. but that that will run in parallel with you know my existing dj passion work and uh, you know i i I guess i guess i'd i had an interesting couple of years production wise because yeah having said i'd started this full-time kind of music project when when covid hit my my wife was working really hard in her day job and and I kind of had not much going on, so I pretty much became a full time dad for a while, um, mm. which was awesome. Yeah. But also, when when a lot of people in COVID suddenly got productive and they were you know running off loads of tunes, I just didn't really have the time for that. I probably had less time to to make music than others. So, and I I just had I literally just had a track source number one. Um, I I did it well. It was the real soul remix of my track, but I produced the track with Cherie Hicks called Stronger. Um, mm-hmm. And for, for a brief millisecond, it topped the whole track source. Number one in Soulful House for a while, topped the nice. whole uh, track I remember source that, chart. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, Congratulations so like, what on been, that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But it yeah. kind of was what should have been a bit of a springboard. And then suddenly I, I my, my pipeline had run out because I, you know, wasn't in such a position mm. to release stuff. So, so while a lot of guys were were building up their catalogue and getting a lot of releases mm-hmm. scheduled, mine slowed down. And, mm. and arguably, it's taken. I, I, I've been feeding out a few tracks here and there, but arguably, it's only been the last couple of months. That I feel like I've got this, you know, sort of future you say that ha- work again. Would you say that having a pipeline is important then to, for for artists, yeah. just to, so that if something does kind of pop off and blow up, uh, then you, you have something to back it up with maybe 
Yeah, I think I think you've got to do that. You've you need to have, in my in my opinion and my experience, mm-hmm. um, you need to have on average a track a month, right? Mm-hmm. Every month you need to have a track a month every month, and in between that, uh, look, you're at the mercy again, as was I was saying before, you're at the mercy of record labels, mm-hmm. release schedules, mm-hmm. what the A and I go. So you know if. Uh, I've got a track coming out on Soul Revolution. Uh, it's Mike mm. Mike Mulrain's label. Um, you know, love Mike, great producer, great mastering engineer, um, and just just good all round guy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think it was meant to be out this coming Friday, uh, the tenth. I, I, I'm not sure of the exact date. I think I think it'll be out in November. So I'll mm. loosely keep to my my pipeline, and I've got other stuff in the process mm-hmm. of being signed and scheduled. Um, but if I think back to what I just described, you know, I had my, my number one and then sort of things tailed off, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I then did release the old track after that, I didn't get as much traction on it. And I, you know, it could be, it could be that, you know, objectively my music wasn't as good or it wasn't as mm. popular because you know, as a, as a producer yourself, you know, right? Some tracks that you do will sell more than others, get more support than others. And it's not mm-hmm. always the ones that you think are the best ones, right? Absolutely. Um, it's so hard to predict what are, what's going to pop off and what's going to be a dud, you know? So it's yeah, the tracks, in fact, and it's so, it's so unpredictable that I, the tracks that I think are going to do well, because they mean something to me. You know, I, I did a song with a with a vocalist. And it was a I thought it was, and I wrote the the whole song, and I thought it was a really good song. And it was it, it was is the vocal delivery was amazing, and um, it didn't do very well. So, uh, but then I've was, had other songs this, that was this the the Phoenix Soul? Was that the one on Phoenix Soul, or am I thinking of something well, else? Well, that one went, did, that one did okay, but then as the the one with Carmina Day, um, you know, you light me up. Yeah, it was just like a, just a song, song. You know, it was just it wasn't like yeah a song about the scene. It wasn't a song about you know um, pain or you know sorrow or anything like that. It was just like uh, just a feel good song. And I thought you know I, it was something that meant something to me, but uh, you know it didn't do well. So, um, but then I've had other tracks that I spent like just a few hours making that did really well. Mm-hmm. Like for ins- for example, that um, getting down track uh, that was on Bob's Your Uncle Records. Uh, that was. Yeah, easily my best track of that year. I think granted I didn't have very many, but um, and I I never thought I was going to do that well. I mean, Miguel Mix even charted it, and <laughs> it was yeah. I had no idea that it was going to like. I, I didn't I didn't even think expect it to do very well, but it it did. So you know, it's just it's so unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. So can, being a corporate you guy, predict. Yeah. So being a corporate guy. Do you have like a workflow that you use for like getting tracks done or do you have kind of like let it be kind of let things kind of take their natural course? Do you have a system? Um, so I, this, this one can be seen as controversial or not. I, I, I use, I have a template in logic, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, when I fire it up, it will default, you know, new projects mm-hmm. will, will default to this template. And mm-hmm. what, what, what that really means, it's not like I've got any pre-recorded patterns other than a four to the floor kick drum. Right. But it's just all my routing, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the drum buses, the different layers, um, mm-hmm. some of the, the processing that I'm likely to put on a particular channel, you know, I'll have, I have like a, 
you know, certain EQs or different certain compressor or, you know, whatever whatever plugin fits fits the the, the sound, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have that just ready to go so that right. I don't have to fire up and 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 you know take that half an hour to just set that all mm-hmm. up. And I've got and I, I I just done a collaboration with a producer called Kid Massive. He was quite um, mm-hmm. well. I mean, for, for me, he was. I go back 10, 15 years, it was almost like with the nice and ripe stuff, if I saw that Benjamin had done a track, it was like, I'm going to get that. I know I'm going to get it. This was Beatport mm-hmm. as opposed to walking into a record shop. It's like, yeah, right. I mean, when he's when he's seen something, like, oh, I want to hear this. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been lucky enough to connect with him. He's, he's a Danish guy who lived in the UK a lot, but now he's based in Bangkok. Mm. And uh, we this the, the, the track we've got... Um, it, it was my original idea. I'd kind of made a skeleton of a track and I guess he kind of finished what I'd started. Right. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we worked on it that way. But when I sent in my project, he was like, man, you're, you're, you're so organized, you know, like my, my mm-hmm. drums are colored red. My bass is colored mm-hmm. green. My melodic parts are sort of different shades of blue. Uh, FX are purple. Like, I don't know, certain, certain things like that that just, mm-hmm. Maybe it's OCD. Maybe it just, I don't know, works for me. But I don't think it's OCD. That's all preset. I think, it, I think stuff like that, things like that, like having templates and, um, you know, predefined colors, it clears up mental energy to be yes. able to focus on creativity. It lets, cre- I, th- I feel like it lets creativity flow more. So and then there's people who, um, so I watched like a tutorial video that uh, Danny J. Lewis did. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't use templates, you know, and so, and he doesn't use, but he's so fast at what he does. And, you know, um, that it probably doesn't matter for him because he already, it's kind of like second nature for him anyway, but, uh, yeah. it's, it's certainly, Muscle it's memory, certainly a real, yeah. yeah, it's certainly a real time saver. And, um, like I said, just clears up your mental energy for creativity. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's OCD at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I say, right, it's not, it's not a template in the sense of I've pre-programmed a baseline or I've got some kind of loop mm, in right. there. It's, musically it's still a blank canvas but just the administrative stuff of making a track Mm -hmm. you know i've i've kind of tried to you know front run as much of that as possible um but but i guess i guess a bit more about about the workflow stuff so um typically i'll start with drums because again i played the drums that's my my thing drums Mm -hmm. and once i feel like i've got a bit of a groove going then i probably look at a vocal hook now, mm. sometimes sometimes that gets decided for you. You know, you get you get sent a remix. You got the stems mm. there, like the vocals. Uh, you know, drop them in, time stretch them, whatever, flex time, line them up, warp them if you're an Ableton guy. Um, right. And you know, once you've got that, it's like, well, now I need melodies and chords that that fit the vocal. So, yeah, that that sort of tends to come next. Um, I'm not brilliant keys player you know midi saved me you know drums stick Mm -hmm. me in a drum kit and even though i'm rusty i can i can play right but keys being able to correct those duff notes and Mm -hmm. you know experiment with that and yeah that 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 makes a big difference makes a big difference Mm -hmm. for sure yeah i remember um i used to be so afraid of like so self-conscious of my own like keys playing skills that i would program everything in so now i just like but i'm I'm, lately i've been like actually like just kind of doing the you know the live recording of it and then using the quantize to to get it to to sync up or whatever so that 
because I want to expand, you know, I think it's important for us as artists to continually develop and, you know, expand our skills and, and grow and be lifelong learners and all that stuff. And, and so mm-hmm. leveling up is, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do that. There's so many things that, uh, to learn and whatnot. So I think, I think you can't help it like to learn new stuff, but I think it's important to push ourselves too. So and you, uh, you, uh, have a really good ear for like frequencies and whatnot. And so, and I've actually asked you for, for feedback on, on some of my mixes before and which you've, uh, which I'm very grateful that you've, that you've given some really good feedback, um, on, do you do, um, like all your own mixing and mastering or do you like do mixing and then ship off mastering to someone else? Yeah. So, so, so I, I mix my own tracks, mm-hmm. um, and, actually just just to take a slight step back so um i i'm always really kind of flattered when people say hey can you give me an opinion on this and Mm. what i would always try to do because you know we've all got friends that that love us and want us to succeed Mm -hmm. um maybe they don't know technically how we do what we do so you send them a track and you'll get a fire emoji back or this is great i love this Mm -hmm. and stuff like that right um but what's going to help you more is if you tell me, man, your kick drum needs to come up two dBs in the mix, and absolutely, yeah. You know, use a transient shaper to bring the attack up on it, or yeah, mm-hmm. your bass is a bit muddy. You know, cut something at two hundred and fifty hertz, right? This this kind of technical input, which when you've been and my wife sometimes so so what you can see behind me i've got my my kind of my decks and stuff over there i've got my mm. monitors and my midi gear and stuff right behind me it's also my mm-hmm. work from home office but about mm-hmm. five feet that way my wife's got her desk right and if she's working from home mm. sometimes she'll say to me like you've played that same four second section over a hundred <laughs> times right and it just sounds the same right. now mm-hmm. than it did at the beginning whereas you know i'm mm. thinking i've yeah, yeah, you know, I've sharpened up the snare, I've mm-hmm. made it wider with reverb and it cuts through the mix nicely. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff just just gets lost, right? And you do yeah. it over and over so frequently that you start to sometimes not see the wood for the trees, right? That's true, yeah. So, so, so having someone objective come in and uh, mm-hmm. come in and do that, you know, and just just listen with a fresh pair of ears and say, oh, yeah, man, this is good, but have you thought about doing this? Or, yeah, you know, if I was going to do this, this is how I would approach it. Um, do you do you and, do a lot of mixing yeah. and kind of along the way? Um, like while you're developing a track, do you do your mixing and kind of sound design while you're doing the composition and arrangement part? Or do you kind of get something on paper and like kind of get, or, you know, in your DAW and then kind of get it mapped out mm-hmm. and then just some ideas and then do all the sound design, like most of the sound design and, and mixing after that, or do you kind of do an eight bar section or a 16 bar section, get that as like good sounding as you possibly can and then do the mm-hmm. next 16 bar section or how, how do you work as far as that goes? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's an interesting one. So, um, I would, I guess I guess I do most of it along the way. Um, I get it uh, when I say do it along the way. I'll get it in the right ballpark. So you know, I, I can I can obsess over you know how much reverbs on my hi hat, how how wide are they panned, or where do they sit in mm-hmm. the mix. Um, I I would normally I'm trying to think who it was. There's a there, I, I I met a guy called uh, Stefano Riteri. 
he's quite a famous producer on the house scene, very, very capable kind of engineer. Um, and he was he was playing a set in Singapore, and a, a mutual friend is like, "Oh, hey, Steph's going to be in this studio." Like a bit, we knew a guy had a real, real high end studio in, in in Singapore. So he's like, "Oh, Steph's Steph's going to be coming in and just come and hang out, right?" And so we talked through, and, and what Steph was saying is basically, you know, if you're a sculptor, you start with a big block and you take away. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and it's a little bit like that. So I probably get, yeah, like you said, like an eight bar groove, something like that. Get drums, like like the the, the maximum layering of my drums that I'm ever going to get in the track, right? You know, mm-hmm. so, and, and my drums could easily be 30 parts, you know, mm-hmm. the, with the layering and different um, different variations could easily be, 30 sometimes more parts just just on drums mm. so i get that all laid out first and then yeah you know you start at zero bars you might just have four of those layers and they'll just progress in over time dropping and out but i'll get that mm-hmm. whole drum arrangement you know then i'll get the bass the calls I'll, I'll make that big block and then that's you know that's sort of 90 percent of your composition done it's then arrangement from there and mm-hmm. make that make that you know make make that eight bars into 160 bars sure um yeah but with the with the with with the the kind of the mixing side of that uh, you know i i i i started doing this maybe not that well but i started doing this back in the i had an analog mixing desk right you know i had mm-hmm. had a, a uh, so 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 in my very early days, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Ricky, so he, as an individual, he's, as DJ, he's Ricky Magic Martin, uh, but he mm. produces his Groove Synergy, so you'll probably know him as Groove Synergy. Um, so we we actually did a lot of stuff together. We we had an alias Partners in Crime for a while, and we put we put a load of stuff out. Sort of about two thousand two thousand and one for about three or four years. We did quite a few things back then, all, all on vinyl in those days. Um, but we had, you know, we had, we had, everything was outboard. We, 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 at some point we did finally get Cubase VST1, which was the first kind of door, as it were, where you can do it in mm-hmm. the box. Um, but what that meant was that really, if you're using an analog mixing desk, unless you're like kind of taking photos or really writing down very specific notes on what the fader volume is, what the EQ is on there, you know, you can't, you can only work on one track at once and mm. something would happen. Yeah. We'd be in there. One of us would flying elbow nudge one of the faders down. It's like, oh man, I have to rebalance everything again. Oh, no. So, so what, what, what we were doing those days and, and, you know, like my, my mixing skills were pretty terrible back then. I was probably a bit more technical than Ricky, but um, my mixing skills were terrible. And what we'd essentially do is we'd build a track with rough volumes. We'd go faders down. So put all the faders back, flat mm. all of the all of the knobs to, to 12 o'clock uh, and then just try it again run something off on on a cassette tape go down mm-hmm. to the car play it do the car test you mm. know external references find out that everything sounded crap and then go back and <laughs> iteratively fix it over time mm. um so what what i would try and do like i say in, in, a, in a current project i would get it mixing sound design 80% of the way there. Um, li- little sidebar, I was watching some stuff with Mark Hill, you know, like Artful Dodger, Artful. 
and he he was doing loads of stuff in audio like i mean he was programming single kick drums taking the one shot and just laying it you know in his logic window in audio in an audio track mm. and i personally and that's I think back to when I was teaching, you know, my, my students about music production, I would never, ever do that. And the reason is like, I've, I've had tracks, I've worked on them. I've got what in my mind is a finished track. And it's like something, something's just not right. And then I've swapped out the kick drum, just mm. brought in a completely different sample and it's transformed the track. Mm-hmm. But if I've done that in audio, I've got to go through yeah. and put the same kick drum in a hundred thousand times whereas if it's if it's you know yeah. if you've done it in midi you just drop it in or maybe maybe i just want to tune the kick i want to i want to pitch it up a semitone mm-hmm. you know again you do that in totally. audio is there's so many yeah. reasons why that's a hassle so mm-hmm. yeah midi i can just tweak it change it um but yeah you know so you you, you get to the end of it you think you've got a, a more or less finished track i'll then play a reference track and you know, A, B, that, I've got different different reference tracks for different scenarios. But mm-hmm. let's say, you know, I play something that Grant's done uh, or Scott Diaz, someone like that. You, you know these mm-hmm. guys right. kill it with every with every track. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, then I go back and when, when I see how much mine is lacking compared to theirs, you know, it gives me a bit of a, a target to work to. Right, um, for sure. Martin, and thinking of your sorry thinking of your very original question mastering always outsourced um i typically if you'll know this and any of the guys that are sort of involved in the garage house scene used used to be you pretty much had two choices it was either stuart ketteridge or mike mulrain stuart Mm -hmm. now has kind of turned his back on music and uh Mm -hmm. i think he's like a his, his him and his wife have got a printing business or something um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I mean, really it's got to be Mike Mulrain. Um, so, so, and typically the labels that I work with will, um, will, will they have Mike, you know, probably on a retainer or something anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just had, uh, I just had a track out. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it's still out once you release it, but, um, it kind of peaked a few weeks back, but it was, um, my first uh, number one in the garage chart over at Traxels, uh, Satisfy Me mm. uh, on Plastic People. Um, yeah, and, and congr- Mark, congratulations. That's a, th- that's thank a you. Cool, yeah. cool feat. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. This, this was one of those ones, like, I mean, obviously I believed in the track and I liked it. This was one of those ones where the, probably the lead time on production was not as long as I've spent on others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, I've got like, you know, <laughs> pretty simple vocal hooks in there so it's you know and i'm not i'm not mixing down 50 vocal stems and harmonies and stuff like that but the yeah i mean relatively speaking that that was quite quite a quick one from start to finish and that yeah it's probably been my best Mm. release in a couple of years so uh and and, and mark plastic people mark mark uh Mm -hmm. did the mastering himself on that one And and it sounds sounds fine to me um I, I did a track for Purple Music uh, with a singer called Nell Shakespeare, a track called Keep On, a bit more disco, disco-y house kind of vibe. And it's the first time I ever got a STEM master. Mm. So uh, I, I, I hit up Richard Earnshaw because um, it's kind of more his sound. 
You know, mm. like if, if it's anything garage, that's that's Mike's domain. Look no further. Because mm. it was a more kind of soulful, discoy thing. I I, I I hit Richard up and yeah, you know, he, he sent me something pretty good back, but he actually said, Look, you know, if I'm honest with you, I'll get you something better if you give me the stems. Like, yeah, hell well, man, you know. Um so so that that was a bit mm. of an eye opener, you know, like yeah. how much better Richard got got it with just mm-hmm. four or five stems than just, you know, as compared to a stereo mix. So for the right projects, I'd definitely do that again, you know, send send that out and, and get a stem mix done. And maybe from a workflow perspective, outsourcing some of this stuff, as long as you've got the budget for it or the labels comfortable to do that, you know, why, why kill yourself, right? Focus on the mm-hmm. creative stuff, not, not the science so much. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this has been really good, good, good conversation. Um, I kind of want to bring it back to like um, the Asia, the scene in Asia, because you know you're on the ground there. Mm. So when we were looking at the track source like charts, or like you know all of the artists are you know American or European essentially, or you know there's Afro House as well. So you got some mm-hmm. South, you know, some African artists, but you don't see a ton of like Asian production, like people that are like from. I don't mean like Asian names or anything. I'm just saying like people that are actually mm-hmm. like from like from Asia that are like putting stuff out. So I guess is there, do you feel like there's a reason for, I don't know, are they just not as into house music or are they just, um, or is the, is the culture there just different or do the, does Asia have like its own um, like version of track source that you'd have to like go to go there to find like <laughs> Asian producers. I mean, well, why yeah, do you feel like there's I, I not mean, as many Asian there's not very much of an Asian influence in house music yet. Hopefully that'll change. Um, Why do you feel like that is? So I I would say, I would say the garage scene is small here, right? There are very few guys. There's a, there's, there's a guy, there's a guy up in, in Japan who's just had a track out, I think on Pogo house. Um, So it's got a slightly more garage. If I have the sound that you and I would, you know, Mm -hmm. resonate with, um, and you get you get expats a bit like myself. So when I was in Singapore, you had uh, Scott Watson, the Sun Chasers, who's a bit more on the soulful kind of house side, but you know he's a prominent guy. In mm-hmm. in Thailand, you've got Q Narangwate. So um, you know he's he's he plays at the Southport Weekend there in London, right? He's well established on the soulful house scene soulful house deep house scene so so there are guys here in the music that we know i guess you mentioned afro house like so so here in hong kong uh halix m halix is lovely guy super cool producer really knows what he's doing um so so there are some guys here but we're probably a bit more few and farther between what you have got a lot of is techno producers so Mm. many techno producers um Mm. and and i think it's a little bit like like I was saying earlier about the guys in Singapore, there's because there was no underground scene to speak of, they ended up going really underground. Mm. You know, it's, it was, it was very black or white. You're either mainstream or you're really, really underground. Mm. Um, they, you mentioned before, like in the UK, that there is a pretty healthy underground scene. And, you know, look, I, I remember first time around with the garage stuff, like the late nineties, Craig, David, Artful Dodger, this stuff, Mm-hmm. 
we had it as promos as DJs, but within a year, these guys are like international stars, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you in the UK, you had that that way of crossing over of making something underground. You know, again, I you know I keep coming back to Grant because I guess he's a bit of a well, hopefully he's a. I, I think he's a mate, but I mean, he's also a bit of a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen him on top of the pops back in the day. You know, he's he's been in the mainstream charts and the guys, his remix. And he, he didn't sell out to do that. He just made good music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, but stuff with vocals, stuff with hooks, stuff that someone who doesn't have to be, you know, deep, deep underground can 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 access it and, it and it can resonate with them but yeah yeah here like I, I, there's been very little tolerance is not the word i'm looking for encouragement i don't know but like like you know the underground scene is not supported by the masses so the, the guys that do it take it really far away to to not be associated with the mainstream hence hence so much techno hmm that makes sense okay yeah uh, Cool. Well, this has been a really good conversation, and uh, I would love to do this again yeah, sometime. I, absolutely, absolutely. Get my day started with work and everything. So, um, yeah. And you're just probably you're probably ready for bed. Yeah. It's, but, what, uh, what are we doing now? About ten thirty. No, still still a bit more time. I'll squeeze yeah. another hour in uh, of production before before I uh, hit hit the hay tonight. But no, th- so, thank you, thank you so much for reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you have coming up that you're excited about um, maybe the next uh, couple of months? uh, And then where can people, where's the best place to find more out about DJ Passion? Yeah. Okay. So um, production wise, next up is is a track called Burning Up, which is on Soul Mm. Revolution, Mike Milrain's label. That should be out in the next few weeks. Not sure exactly. Um, work in progress. Uh, I, I, I did a collab a couple of years ago with uh, Rich, Rich True to Life. Mm. So um, it's taken me a while. I've, I've always been the blocker on this. I'm always the slow one. But we've got collab two in flight. Um, mm. I am. I'm trying to think, man. It feels like there's so much stuff. Uh, I've got a, a remix of the Oculus for Plastic People that I'm just literally starting up. Uh, a track with Vanessa Jackson, if you know mm. Vanessa. Yeah. So, so, so she did some vocals for me for something that's that's in flight. I've uh, been working with with Laura Jackson. So Laura's more on the soulful side. She had a number mm. one a couple of years back with Mark DeMio, um, who runs Solstice Music. Um, Laura is is fantastic. We've been kind of bubbing away on this one for two or three years, to be honest. But this is finally. Okay. We're kind of finally on the home straight. Um, yeah, high collab with Kid Massive. Um, hmm. A bit more kind of disco. So there's 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 lots lots coming. Just just kind of watch this space. Um, where can you find me? Um, Facebook Passion DJ, Instagram at I am DJ Passion, uh, okay. and I've got the not not a not a disco project. So at not a disco HK for for Hong Kong. So yeah, that's sure. that's me. That's where you find me. Cool. 
Well, I'll be sure to include links uh, in the notes of the show for anyone listening so Thank that they you very can much. Thank you. directly connect. So yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this content. I have a free gift for you. If you feel overwhelmed by all of the tasks that we have to complete as artists today, my release roadmap can help. You can download it at tonyfuel.com slash roadmap. It's absolutely free. The tool helps clear up mental energy for creative activities because it gives you one place to manage all of your tasks related to music production, demo submissions, releases, and social media. Gain clarity and make more music today by downloading the, the release roadmap at tonyfuel.com slash roadmap.